Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. I want to welcome everybody at our 288 campus, our Friendswood campus, our Alvin campus, our Webster campus, our Pearland campus, our online campus, and everybody at the Weibo Bible Church in Weibo, Montana. Uh, you may have already heard this, but uh, during our movie series, uh, all kinds of records set. Record attendance is one of those things, and maybe you already heard this, but uh, all the weeks combined, including Labor Day weekend, we averaged over 13,400 people, which is incredible. But here's some, here's, yeah. Here's something even more awesome than that. 85 people got baptized during this series. 85 people. Thank you, Lord, for that. But uh, all of that would not have been possible if it weren't for you. And uh, also, we had a great number of people that uh, uh, went along with what we were asking and chose services other than the 945 or the 1115. Hi. Uh, other than 945 in this service right here. And so um, what, we're, what we're doing moving forward, because what's happening, I don't know what's happening. God is doing something in our church, man. So uh, we're trying to fit everybody in at all the services. And so we're gonna continue to ask anybody who has the option and can do it to uh, come to Thursday night. Thursday's awesome. Also come to uh, 815. If you cannot make the switch, I understand that. We need people in these services as well. So don't everybody leave. but. But those who have a little bit more flexibility in their schedule as to when they can attend, that would be awesome as well to help us with all kinds of things. So uh, just the, the short story here is um, lots of people coming to our church, awesome. If we were to build what we need parking-wise and all that for our campuses, it would be millions of dollars. I'm talking $10, 15000000 dollars. And I'm a cheap pastor. So here's, the, here's, here's what can happen. If we get some more people just to go over to Thursday or to 815, it's like you giving millions of dollars to the church, <laughs> seriously. Although we will take a check too, if you have that, you know, for sure, for sure. But anyway, uh, thank you for doing that, those of you who've already decided to do so. We're, today what we're gonna do is, we're gonna do is what we do every week at this church. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna learn from God's word. Are you ready to learn from God's word today? Okay, so rained the last couple of days, wasn't that awesome? Rained, and, and I had this thought uh, during the rain. I don't have the verses memorized, but I know them well enough to kind of paraphrase. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Uh, God says, uh, just as the rain uh, that falls to the earth does not return to the sky without accomplishing the watering of the earth, so my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish the purpose for, when, for what I send it forth, for why I send it forth. And so uh, today, as his word goes forth, I pray that it accomplishes the purpose that God has for it in our hearts as well. So if, you, if you're brand new with us, we don't gather each week to hear my opinion or anybody else's. Um, we don't gather for a motivational talk. We gather in God's house because we all need to hear from God. 
We need to hear from God, and this is how we hear from God. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to take a deep dive. This is week one of this series, a deep dive into the book of 1 Peter. It is a book that will challenge us on a variety of different subjects. And if you have your Bible with you, or you're going to follow along on a device of some kind, we're going to be right here, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to make it through seven verses today. Uh, But let me begin with this. Have you noticed that the world has gone crazy? Amen to that. Yeah, the world has gone crazy. It's always been crazy, always will be crazy, but it's gotten worse, it feels like, over the past little bit. And it used to be that uh, all kinds of people could agree on certain subjects. Like, no matter your background, uh, here in the United States, we kind of agreed on certain things. Like, we agreed on marriage, we agreed on gender, on sexuality, on protecting the innocence of young children. Those are ideas that were underpinned uh, by our values, and I think those values could be traced back to the fact that uh, this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values, on Judeo-Christian, we have Judeo-Christian roots. And so that's kind of how our society went. And if somebody went against what was sort of agreed upon in society, then that person or those people were rebels because they were rebelling against what was supposed to be or what felt like was the norm for us. And and, uh, wow. Wow, things have changed, have they not? And now you turn on the TV, you surf the internet, and uh, it's almost as if uh, anti-biblical values have become the norm. And, and, and it feels like all of the news media, all of Hollywood, all of the entertainment industry, every late night comedian, every social media algorithm, even my beloved sports networks have colluded together, it feels like everyone's colluded together to erase any hint of Christian values in our society. We're at a time when, when, when what was seen as wrong once upon a time as right and what was seen as right is now seen as wrong. And, and almost to the point where if you believe what the Bible says, that you're a bigot or worse. That's what this is the age that we live in right now. And it's almost as if people who believe in this book have now become the rebels in this society. Well, our series is called Different, and man, are we different, hopefully. Man, are we different than the world. Um, it's almost to the point where if we want to know what God wants us to do, we just look at culture and whatever culture is doing, we just do the opposite of that. That's how bad it's become. I don't know if you've ever had a friend that just gave bad advice. Anybody have a friend that gave bad advice? And no matter what you ask them to do, they always told you the exact wrong answer. Anybody had a friend like that? I've had a couple of friends like that in my life. In fact, one of them, he was hilarious, a great guy, great guy, but just not very smart when it came to giving advice. And, and he would even, when you would leave a pause in the sentence, he would insert what he thought you were going to say, and it was always the wrong thing. Always the wrong thing. It'd be like, I'd be saying, man, I just don't feel good and right right now. I just feel like I need to. He would say, get wasted? No, no. (laughs) Not what I was going to say, you know. Talk about going and praying, going to church, you know, or something like that. But I mean, it wasn't that bad. But it felt like that at times. Like, if I wanted to know what God wanted me to do, I could just ask my friend and then do the opposite of what he said. And then more than likely it would be the right thing. And that's what it feels like in the world today. You want to know what to do? Well, then just listen to Hollywood, listen, listen to the actors and actresses, listen to the news media, and just do the opposite, and you'll probably be right. But listen, 
We don't want to just be rebels. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, this letter of 1 Peter is a perfect book for us to study as a church family as we try to live godly lives in an ungodly age. Now, this, this letter was written to Christ's followers living in a culture that was increasingly hostile to Christians. They were living in a culture that was increasingly hostile to Christians. It was written, this book, can you guess, 1 Peter was written by? Written by Peter, okay, so uh, this is verse one, if you're following along, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And uh, you may not know Peter if you've not spent much time in church, but Peter was Jesus's most outspoken disciple. He was the only other person that we know of to walk on water other than Jesus. He didn't last very long on top of the water. He sank pretty quick, but he was the only other person to try. Um, he was the only person that we know of in the Bible, one of the disciples, to rebuke Jesus. The only disciple to rebuke Jesus, which is not a good thing. Somebody say, it's not a good idea. Not a good, it wasn't a good idea because then Jesus immediately turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. So he's also the only disciple that Jesus ever referred to as Satan. So he's got that going for him. He was the only disciple that grabbed a sword and tried to defend Jesus when Jesus was being arrested. He is the disciple who denied Jesus three times. He's the disciple that Jesus reaffirmed on the beach there after, after, after his resurrection. His sermon, Peter's sermon, is the one that we have recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized. He is a bold, bold witness for Jesus. In fact, Peter, according to church history, when it came time for him to die, they were going to crucify him, and he said, according to church history, he said, I am not worthy to to die, to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord, therefore crucify me upside down. <laughs> That's Peter. That's Peter. And quite a guy, and he wrote quite a letter for us. He wrote this letter to those who are elect exiles, which is kind of a recurring theme, which we will deal with as we go through the book. But he's writing this letter approximately in the year 64 AD, at least that's what most scholars believe. And so he's writing about 30 years after Jesus had ascended. He's writing this letter to Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jewish people. So how do I know that? Because we have clues in the book, which we will talk about when we get to them in the weeks to come. But uh, in this first verse, it does sound like he's writing to Jewish Christians because he uses this word right here, the dispersion to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, dispersion is a word that is used for Jewish people, was used for Jewish people 500 years before this was written. 500 years before this was written, uh, uh, a lot of the Israel, uh, folks from Israel were in captivity in Babylon. They were then released. So that was the exile that went on for 70 years in Babylon. They were released at that time, 500 years or so before this. So a lot of them didn't go home uh, because their homes were gone. It had been 70 years, their homes were gone or somebody else was living in them or they were uh, children of those who were exiled so they never really had a home in Israel. So here they are, exiles without homes, looking for homes, but in a foreign land. That's not, hopefully I didn't just confuse you, that's not who Peter's writing to here. That all took place 500 years before. That was Jewish people 
This right here is Gentile people, that uh, Gentile folks that Peter's writing to. Uh, and he uses the same term for them, however, the dispersion as was used for the Jewish folks. And we'll see why again in the weeks to come as we go through this book. But uh, here, here, here it is. He's, he's writing to Gentile Christians in a culture that was very foreign to them. Peter mentions these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now, these are ancient provinces of the Roman Empire, and this is where these people were. And, and, uh, and here's a map, uh, Bithynia, Pontus, Asia Minor, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia. So this is where this letter is going to, is, the, is these places right here. Now, if you did good in geography in school, you recognize this as the modern day country of Turkey. Very good. Put a star by your name. Here it is. Uh, if you've flown into uh, Turkey before, uh, you flew in right here in the new airport, Istanbul, uh, which is right on the shoreline of the Black Sea. Down here is the Mediterranean. You go down the coastline here, you hit Syria, and then on down uh, to Israel down this way. But the red lines on this particular map are somebody's guess about how this letter was passed out and distributed to the places based on the roads that were available and the population centers back in these days, uh, the days that this was written. So, by the way, most of the New Testament, the, the books are really letters. Did you know that? Letters that were written to somebody or a group of people. And so what would happen would be that they would get the letter and then they would pass it around to other churches or, or they would copy it and make copies and, and send copies various places. And so get this, it was the same sermon going to multiple locations. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Again, Peter calls these people exiles. Now that word can be translated as strangers or pilgrims or sojourners. And even though these people uh, are living in these places, Peter reminds them of something. In this very first verse, calling them exiles, he's reminding them of something. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Well, where's their home? Anybody know? Where's their home? Same place yours is. Where's your home? Heaven. Ultimately, our home is in heaven. And uh, here we are. Not even one verse into the study, and Peter's already reminding us that this world is not our home, that heaven is our home. How many of you are glad that this world that we're living in right now is not the end of your story? Amen? There's more. There's more, which means that even on the worst days here on this earth, we can still have hope. Now, I want to skip ahead toward the end of this section of Scripture, verse 6, because I want to begin with the end in mind, so to speak. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, bad things may have happened to you, but then he says, you rejoice. You can rejoice, you can have hope, even though you've been grieved. Now, this was written uh, in 64 AD. Guess what else also happened in 64 AD? Rome burned. Rome burned. And... Uh, and, 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 and I don't want to get into history too much, but this is interesting, so I'm going to go for it, and hopefully it'll help you to understand. A little while before this, Nero, had, who was the emperor, had gone to the Roman Senate and asked for money to refurbish Rome because he thought it was looking pretty shabby. And so he wanted to redo vast portions of the city. He did not get his way. They voted not to give him the money for it. And then, voila, a fire happens that burns down most of the city. 
And so there was a lot of speculation even at that time that he's the one that burnt the city. The city burnt for six days and he didn't really do anything about it, which is, why, which is where this saying came from, uh, uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burnt, which can't be true because the fiddle wasn't invented yet. But he did, uh, according to history, he did play the lyre, the lyre. You can look that up, L-Y-R-E, which is a musical instrument that apparently he was pretty good at. So maybe he was doing that while, while Rome burned. But uh, anyway, uh, many people, believe, uh, including Roman historians, Tacitus and Suetonius, believed that he was to blame for the fire. <clears throat> Nero, however, blamed Christians. And so after the fire, for three years straight, from 64 AD to 67 AD, Christians were the target of intense persecution. They were burned, crucified, fed to wild animals in the Colosseum. They were drenched with tar and hung up and used as, and lit on fire and used as lampposts in Nero's garden. Peter himself, the writer of this letter, Jesus' disciple, he himself was crucified during this same time period. So Peter's words here could kind of be an advanced encouragement that even in the middle of intense and various trials, the Christians could have hope, that they could still rejoice. He's trying to get them to, to see things differently, to look up while the world was trying to take them down. And as Christians, this is a good word for us in our present age. We can have hope no matter what. In fact, I wanna show you from the text three great reasons why we can have hope no matter what today. First one is this, we can have hope no matter what because God has chosen me to be part of his family. He's chosen me. If you're in Christ today, you've, you've accepted Christ as your uh, Lord and Savior and put your faith in him, this works for you too. God chose you to be in his family. He says, to the elect exiles of the dispersion, now verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, if you just read that, like that's all you had to go on, you would never know what these people are enduring or are about to endure. And uh, as Peter writes these verses, it almost seems like everything's okay, but everything's not okay. But ultimately, that is okay because Peter's calling them to see their entire situation differently. He says, even in the middle of tough times, you can rejoice. You can have hope because, first good reason here, you have been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. Now, what does foreknowledge in this verse mean? Well, in the Living Bible, it says it this way. Dear friends, God the Father chose you long ago and knew that you would become his children. So what's he saying? He's saying your salvation is no accident. You being in church today is no accident. You being a, a, a loving, growing follower of Jesus Christ is no accident. And, and I, I don't mean to get too particular or too technical, but I, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, you know, uh, I found uh, Jesus when I was 16. And I'd never interrupt him, okay? But here's what I'm thinking. Um, Jesus wasn't lost. Okay, right? And the reason I'm saying that out loud today is because I want to I I get our heads around this, that we don't necessarily find him, he finds us, and one day we wake up to that fact. 
When he's knocking on the door of our heart, we finally open the door. That's what happens on that beautiful day uh, when, when, when we become followers of Jesus Christ. We figured out and we put our faith in him. The good news version of that verse says this, you were chosen according to the purpose of God. You were chosen according to the purpose of God. Now that brings up a question. Why would God choose me? Why would God choose you to be part of his family? The answer is not because of something we've done, but because of who he is, because of his grace, because of his mercy. And the more you understand the love that our God has for us, the more you're gonna be amazed by the fact that he would choose us. Do we deserve it? No, we didn't deserve it. Do we deserve to go to heaven? No, 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 no. Do we deserve to be in God's family? Absolutely not. But God chose us anyway, according to his purpose. Now you may not know this, maybe you do, but I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, my dad was a pastor for 50 years. And, I, and, and I, I'm, I'm happy to say this right now, I'm not bragging or complaining, okay? I'm just saying, I love church. I always have loved church. I never left church. I didn't rebel against it. There wasn't a time where I left to go find myself, you know, and, or anything like that. And I went to, and I'm not bragging, you'll see that in just a moment, but I went to Bible college when I graduated from high school. Three years after that, Jane and I came to Texas to start the church. I never belonged to a gang, <laughs> although sometimes I do. <laughs> Actually, here's my gang symbol. There it is right there. If you see somebody, they're in my gang if they do that to you. Um, but I was never in a gang. I, I wasn't a drug dealer. I didn't have a miraculous moment while I was in prison because I've not been in prison. And I, and I, I tell you what, ha what happened to me at a certain point in my life is I used to feel bad about that. I was like, I don't have a good story. I don't have a good story. I would be in a group of people at certain times and we'd sit in a circle and hey, tell, tell your story, how you came to Christ. And people would tell these amazing stories. It'd be like, you know, I'd, I left home when I was six, you know. <laughs> Living on the streets, you know, and angel came from heaven and all that. And next guy, you know, I was, gonna, I was gonna end my life and I was on drugs and I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing in a hotel room, a door, uh, you know, somebody knocks on the door, I answer the door and it's like a pizza delivery dude, he's got the wrong door, you know. And he said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. And he tells me about Jesus and I am saved, you know, that evening. And I'm like, it, I've, I've been in situations where it's been sort of like that. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but as people go around the room, I'm thinking, I don't have a good story. And it's coming to me. Anybody else feel this way sometimes? I, maybe I should make something up, you know? <laughs> I'll just tell them the truth. I skipped Sunday school one time and it was... But I used to feel bad that I didn't have a great story until I realized this, we all have the same story. We all have the same story. And I'm gonna tell you what that story is. We were lost and headed for hell, but Jesus saved us. That's all of our stories right there. Now, some, some of you, maybe when you're telling this side of the ledger of your story, like you were lost and going to hell, you can stack some sins on there. And some exciting moments, uh, uh, maybe more so than other people. But I tell you what, if you can put one sin on that side of the ledger, you're going to hell too. 
So we're all in that same boat. We were all once upon a time going to hell, but then thank you, God, because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us, we get to go to heaven someday. That's the good news of salvation right there. And as I say that, there are some people that may think, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. Well, no. No, you have not. Because for every single person listening to me today, there was a B.C. before Christ's time in your life. When you didn't have a clue, when you thought you were okay, but you weren't okay because your sins were still on your record and you were still lost and you were still going to hell, even though maybe you were going to church at the same time. It all changed though when you answered the door and you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and then God changed the outcome of your entire life. Praise God for that, amen? So, so why did he save us? Here's why he saved us. Because of his great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He saved us because of his great mercy, meaning my salvation, your salvation is not based on our performance. We cannot earn it. We couldn't work hard enough to pay for it. It's only by his mercy, by his mercy alone. Otherwise, we'd be lost. I love this quote by Vody Bachman. I've read, I, I don't know if I've read all of his books, but I've read a lot of his books. But he says this, do you know it was his mercy that woke you up this morning because his judgment should have killed you last night? Now, that's... That's hard, but that's hard truth right there. It's only by God's mercy that we're saved. So you think about it. If you're a Christian today, the only reason that you're in God's family is because God wanted you in his family and he had mercy on you. And to me, that is so encouraging. And I say that because this whole world could be falling apart. Every bit of News on TV can be bad news or disturbing news. The stock market can crash. Inflation can continue to go up. But I can look up from the mess and say, I am a child of God because God, once upon a time, he chose me. He sent his son to die on the cross for me so that my sins could be taken away. Thank you, God. I am blessed. Even in the mess, I'm blessed. And it's all because of his mercy. Now, the campus pastors and myself have been praying for the folks who uh, signed up to give a while back uh, and uh, who sent in prayer requests. And, and um, those uh, prayer requests keep getting added, so we keep getting an updated form. But on about the, the second or third version of the prayer requests, I sent a note to the campus pastors because some of the prayer requests were very, very heavy very heavy. And those of you who have those heavy prayer requests know what I'm talking about. But I told the campus pastors, I said, listen, these are, these are too heavy. These are too heavy for us to carry. I said, carry them only long enough to set them at the foot of the cross because we can't do it this with our, with, with our human power, we can't do this. This is something we just got to give to God. And that's kind of what intercession is. We stand there and we take what somebody needs and we set it at the feet of our Lord. And so we've been doing that. And hopefully you felt the weight of those prayers being taken from you, those requests being taken from you and given to the Lord, hopefully, hopefully. 
But I'm going to give you another reason to breathe deeply today if you're going through junk. And when I say breathe deeply, I know what I'm talking about because if you've ever been in a tough time, it's hard to breathe deep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I can't get my breath. I can't get my breath. I can't relax. I can't, I can't feel like I can't breathe. Okay. Been there, done that. But I'm going to give you a, another reason why you can breathe deeply today. Here it is. God chose you. God chose you. And he loves you. And he sent his son to die on the cross in your place so that you could have all that he wants to give to you. That's good news, isn't it? So we can have hope no matter what, and we can breathe deeply today. Second reason that we can have hope is because God has secured my future. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, my past is forgiven, my sins washed away. So God takes care of our past, but he also secures our future. Verse three says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're born once on this earth into this kind of rotten earth and everything that's going on. We're born physically, but then we're born again into a living hope. So we're born into a world that doesn't really have hope, born again into a living hope. Now, why does he call it a living hope? Because it's based on Jesus, and Jesus is alive. He's alive. They tried to kill him. They tried to keep him down, but they couldn't keep him down. He's alive again. So our hope is not based on a dead man. It's not based on the words of a dead man. Our hope is based on a living Savior. So we have an inheritance. Keep uh, going on here. We're in verse 3, now verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Did you know that nothing on this earth is gonna last. Do you know that? Everything is temporary, including our bodies. Our bodies are temporary. I don't know if you've seen this recently, but there's a tech CEO, he's 45 years old, and he is spending $2 million a year to try to stay in an 18-year-old body indefinitely. I think it's 18 or maybe uh, 16-year-old body indefinitely. So he's spending $2 million a year to try not to die, basically, and I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, including his, but I'm going to make a prediction. Is this okay? Is it okay if I do this? Here it is. Dude's going to die. He's going to die. And, and, and I don't say that with hate in my heart. I say that because I know things. And I know that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says these bodies that we have were not made to last forever. That's an obvious fact to most people, except to this guy, I guess. And I'm not the only one to think this because here's an article out of Fortune Well. It says the 45-year-old CEO spending $2 million a year on anti-aging is probably wasting his money. (laughs) You think so? Um, So everything will pass. Everything will pass, including our bodies are going to pass. Everything, everything. By the way, have have anybody have a new ache or pain this past week that you want to share? Like, it's like every week, isn't it? As we get older, it's like, when did, what, what is that? What is that? Why does that hurt? Why does it hurt? I, I, this happened a while back, but I, uh, I've had both of my Achilles tendons reattached. And, but after those were healed and everything, there was one day when I was getting out of bed, just getting out of bed. That's all I was doing. I wasn't trying to dunk the basketball. I wasn't, 
I was trying to get out of bed. I took one step with my left foot and I felt something rip down there again. And uh, it turns out it was just uh, scarred tissue pulling away from the bone, but it hurt anyway, okay? And so I hobbled around for days wearing a boot, uh, waiting for it all to heal back up again. And, and, and what is that? What is that? I was getting out of bed. What is that? That's getting older is what that is, right? And it happens to all of us. Our bodies won't last. Our homes won't last. We, if you own a home, you know that's always something, always something, always, right? Our homes don't last, and then eventually they'll be given to somebody else after we're gone, and then they'll be bulldozed eventually when they're totally out of style, if the world lasts that long. Our money that we've saved, maybe, once we're gone, we divide it up and spent in ways that we wouldn't have spent it. And then there will come an end date for everything when it'll all be burnt up with fire. Nothing, nothing's gonna last. Nothing's gonna last except for God, except for his word, except for your soul, and except for your inheritance, God says. Your inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading that he's keeping in heaven for you. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. By God's power, meaning God's the one that's gonna make it happen. It's not dependent upon me, on my abilities or my power. God's gonna make sure that I make it. He's gonna make sure that, my, that I get what he wants me to get when I get there. And so everything else could go away on this earth. You know, and I don't, I don't know what the future holds for us, but, you know, one click of the computer, it feels like our 401Ks could all be gone. You know, that's the world we live in right now. Uh, the house may be taken away. The freedom we enjoy may be gone. We could lose our lives. But guess what? I got heaven to look forward to. I got heaven to look forward to. And you think about these people that got this letter all the way back in the day and what they were facing. and. Peter writing to them that no matter what happens, the most important thing in your life, which is what? Which is eternity. The most important thing has been secured for you by God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, that's someday. So past, past forgiven, taken care of, future secured. But what about right here, right now? Now, the reason I have hope is that God is working in us no matter what. He's working in us no matter. We, we may not feel like it. We may feel like he's a million miles away. But if you're in Christ today, God is still with you, and he's not going to leave you or forsake you. And someone with us today might be going through a season where it feels like God has abandoned you. And if that's you and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, he's not going to leave you. He is not going to leave you, not ever going to leave you. These poor people that uh, Peter was writing to were seeing some terrible things and it was only gonna get worse. But even while bad things were happening to them and around them, good things were happening inside them, good things. In fact, let's go back to verse two one more time because I wanna catch something here at the end of it. It says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. We talked about his great mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting more than we deserve. But he also says peace here. And you would think a little bit of peace would do these people a lot of good in the situation that they found themselves. Like, give me just a little bit of peace, a little bit of hope here. But Peter says, no, it's yours in abundance. It's yours in abundance. I'm hoping 
that as we go through this book and each week when you come to church and we meet together in God's house, that this is what happens to you, that you are encouraged, like that God's word does in us what he wants his word to do. And if you've ever had a, a, a dead battery on your vehicle, and uh, then, then you kind of can understand what I'm talking about here. If you've, if you've got a Ford, then you probably had one. But <laughs> I've got a Ford, so I know what I'm talking about. But So if you have a dead battery, like nothing happens, click, 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 nothing happens. And then some dude, the big pickup truck comes by and he puts the jumper cables on your battery and he makes contact. So he's got more power than he needs, power to spare. He makes contact with your vehicle and all of a sudden your vehicle's good to go, all right? So that's kind of how it is in our relationship with each other and, and, and what happens, I think, I hope when we come to church, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, don't give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but get together and encourage one another. So our job is to encourage each other when we come to church. And I hope that you feel that even as you're walking toward the building from, your car, that you are being encouraged. And I hope that when we have the worship, that it connects you, you know, so you can make that connection with God. So you're connecting with other people, you're connecting with God, and we get into his word, and his word is able to connect with you. And same thing in a life group, you get to connect with other people, and it just recharges us. And I hope, and I pray that that's what's happening to you. You know, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. And so guess what? Jesus is here. He's here. He's here. And he is going to give us what we need. Now back down to verse six. In this, you can rejoice in all the things that we just talked about. In this, you can rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So tough times do something in us. They accomplish a purpose in us. They purify our faith. And Peter says, your faith is being tested. It's being tested over and over again. And the more it's tested, the more precious it becomes. Like gold that is refined by fire and all the impurities are burnt out. So the trials that come our way eliminate and burn away all of the chaff, all of the impurities that should not be there. I will admit right now the process is zero fun. It's zero fun. But those tough times... God uses them to do a work in us, to burn away the junk that shouldn't be there in our hearts. And then what's left over is something that is invaluable. You know, the most beautiful people I have ever met are people who have gone through hell. And I say that, people who've endured severe testing and trials and loss, and yet when you talk to them, you, like, you would never know because they're so loving and understanding and kind and precious, more so than anyone you'll ever meet. And Peter says, that's the goal. Those kinds of people, that kind of faith brings praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. 
And I'm going to ask our campus pastors to get ready, come to the edge of the stage at this time uh, to close the service. But let me close with this. The world is crazy, getting worse all the time. But we don't have to despair because this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. And our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is in Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is alive. Therefore, our hope is alive, meaning that you and I can have hope. We can have hope no matter what. Amen? Love you guys. See you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to follow, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.